greatly debated between book lovers and readers alike, I'm here with my four best friends to discuss our thoughts and feelings on rating books, what our personal star rating system is, and so much more. Hello, and welcome to Talk Bookish to Me, the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Jesse, Jordan, Lena, and Summer to talk about star ratings. Welcome back, ladies. Hi, my name is Jessie. I'm from the channel Reading with Jess. I mostly read thrillers and romances, and I make videos about book recommendations, fun reading vlogs, things like that. Um, I also have my own book club called Sleep When I'm Dead, where I get to connect with other con- creators like these ladies, and also the authors that we are reading from. Hello, everyone, and thanks, Gwen, for having me back. I'm Jordan from the YouTube channel Sorry Booked Solid. I read a variety of genres on my channel and love to do new release reading vlogs, including books from Book of the Month, Aardvark Book Club, and reading NetGalley arcs. Hello everyone, my name is Lena and my YouTube channel is Lena's Bookshelf. I am a thriller reader at heart, but I also love historical fiction, memoirs, and true crime. On my channel, I do TBRs, I do wrap-ups, and some reading vlogs as well. Hi, I'm Summer from the channel Seasons Readings. Some of my favorite genres are fantasy, horror, and romance, and I love to make cozy content. Make sure you follow the podcast at TalkBookish Podcast on Instagram, and check me out on Patreon for bonus episodes and exclusive content. Links for Patreon, podcast merch, and social media information will be available in the notes of today's show. Of course, you guys are my loyal listeners, so you know, I want to know what you're currently reading and what your last five-star read was. Okay, for me, I am currently reading a neck alley arc called Home is Where the Bodies Are by Geneva Rose, currently at 85% and hoping to finish probably tonight. Um, This one's taken me by surprise because it's made me feel so many emotions and even made me cry all within the first 25%, but it's definitely giving, giving me four or five star feels for this one. Um, as far as the last five-star read, um, I read The Overnight Guest by Heather Gunkoff. Um, it's about our main character who is at a creepy farmhouse with a dark past, and she's also stuck in a blizzard. Um, but this one I put off for so long because I kept hearing people saying it wasn't that great, but I ended up loving it. My current read is A Step Past Darkness by Vera Curian, which is a new thriller that just came out, and I'm reading it for a new release reading vlog. My last five-star read was The Women by Kristen Hanna, which is Kristen Hanna's newest historical fiction book, and she's one of my favorite authors, and it did not disappoint. It's probably my favorite of her books so far. It follows a woman who joins the Vietnam War as an army nurse, and it's so, so emotional, and I highly recommend it to anyone who enjoys wartime historical fiction. So excited about both of these books, because your current read is what Jessie's hoping to read next, right? She's been talking about that book. She's like, it's either going to be like the 27 minutes or this one, because you keep talking about it. And then I'm literally going to be picking up The Women by Kristen Hanna next. So I'm so excited. I cannot wait for you to read that and for everyone to read it. I'm going to read The Women in March, I think. So I'm really excited for that one, too. Okay, so my current read is No One Can Know by Kate Alice Marshall. And shameless plug for the Night Owls. I'm reading this one because it's our buddy read this month for the Night Owl Book Club over on Gwen's Patreon. So definitely consider becoming a Night Owl to join us for buddy reads, movie nights, Swifty chats, and all the other fun things Gwen has going on over there. 
And then my last five-star read was also a Kristen Hanna book, and it was Magic Hour by Kristen Hanna. This is from her backlist. It was published in 2007, but it's about a psychiatrist and her detective sister who have to kind of put their heads together to save an abused, traumatized child that they find in the woods. And it was heart-wrenching, and I teared up a little bit at the end, and it was so good. So I'm definitely going to keep looking into Kristen Hanna's backlist. That sounds like a book right up your alley. Traumatized child. Doesn't it? That's a lame book. <laughs> um, I'm currently reading Milk and Honey by Ruby Kaur. It's a poetry book. I just barely started it like earlier today. Um, I'm not very far in. And it's just okay so far. My main complaint is that most of the poems just feel like they should have been a tweet instead of a poem. But that's kind of what you get with like Instagram poetry. But it's definitely not my favorite collection so far that I've ever read. <laughs> have you read anything else by her? No, this is okay. my first. Okay, one. I've read yeah. that one. I had similar. Yeah. How did? <laughs> yeah, what did you rate it? Um, I think like three, two or three. Yeah, that's it's kind of because, what I'm guessing. Like, everybody was like, "Oh my gosh, this is breakout poetry," and I'm like, "Guys, this is a like a tweet." <laughs> you know, literally, I'm like. I'm like, read something by Kate Bear and then go back and try to read that. Yeah, like, it's just, there's it, so it much was almost better like poetry. just like clever little sayings or things you've heard before yeah. or. Mm-hmm. But the covers there's are There's a gorgeous. couple good ones. They are, yeah. There's a couple good ones here and there and it, the subject matter, I'm sure a lot of people get a lot out of, but. Mm-hmm. It's not and I like the little illustrations, but mm-hmm. they're few and far between. It doesn't make yeah. or break the poetry collection. It's just okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those remind me of like coffee table books. Like they're so yeah. pretty to look at, but like they're just kind of a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Like I I read it I think years ago and never really thought about it again. I even read her yeah. next one, the sunflower one, which mm-hmm. that one had a little bit longer, I longer for her, you know, poems in it and stuff. <laughs> and I thought I would like it a little bit more, but not really. So I just don't think she's the poet for me. Okay, so if I don't DNF this one. <laughs> I probably won't pick up the next one then. I might DNF this one, though. <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> but on a better note, my last five-star read was The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston. It's a light fantasy contemporary romance novel about a magical apartment that can take you seven years in the past. It was so cozy and heartwarming, but also sad and nostalgic. It was just such a good book, and I highly recommend it. Just make sure that you have tissues on hand. Yeah, because we actually got a picture of Summer's final reaction to that book. It was so wholesome. (laughs) Anyways, I'm glad that that my tears made you. (laughs) I was like, yes, made you excited, happy. (laughs) Yeah, she recently did a video reading like all of like some of our favorite books, and it just brought Mm -hmm. me so much joy to know how much you loved mine. And I was like, (laughs) you get it, you get it. Mm-hmm. That's always a risky video because you're like, I know. am I going to insult my friends I know. or are we going to become even closer best friends? I was prepared <laughs> to be honest and be like, this was not it, bestie. But pretty much all of them I really enjoyed. I gave, I think the lowest rating I gave was like three stars. So very successful video. You guys have great taste. I'm so excited to have you on at the same time. This is the first time I've had like multiple guests on in a very long time, especially like four of you. So um, hopefully it doesn't get too chaotic. Um, And this is such a big conversation and there's so much to cover. I tried to cover as much as I could. Um, Book reviews, like what do they really mean? 
but I think we need to establish a baseline. So let's briefly go over our star rating system. If we use five stars or 10 star scale, if we use half stars, what each rating means. And I just figured I'll go first. So I use a five star scale. I do not use half or quarter star ratings. I have in the past, but I find it harder to be consistent with my ratings when I do that. It's like harder to narrow down what each half star or quarter star means. So I'm like, I've never used quarter stars, just to be honest. So I stick with the typical five star system. And I'd love to say that I have like super clever meaning behind my rating system, but Goodreads did the work for me. I used Goodreads way before I used the story graph, obviously. And I just went with what their website said each of these star ratings mean. So if you open up Goodreads, you'll know my star rating at any time. They've never changed it. Five stars means it was was amazing. Four star means I really liked it. Three stars means I liked it. Two stars means it was okay. One star means I did not like it. And I also rate based on my personal experience with the book. Sometimes literary merit comes into play, but honestly, not too much. My star rating system in general doesn't let readers know too much because I feel like most people think of an okay book as like a three star book. And I'm like, but that's not an okay book for me. An okay book for me is a two star. So when they see two stars, they're like, oh my gosh, it's not a good book. But that's not the case. So I really think that you need to actually read my review to get like my thoughts on a book. But I know some people just look at that star rating and that's what we're here to debunk today. Well, for me, I also stick to a five star system as well. Um, I used to use half stars in the past, but I think the more that I've evolved as a reader, the more comfortable that I am with my ratings on books. Um, sometimes I'll explain it was like something like a three and a half star, but it's either I round it up or I round it down. And I usually do this if I'm trying to explain or recommend the book to someone else um, and they need more clarity about how I felt about the book. Um, but as far as like my ratings in the breakdown, five stars is amazing. Top new favorite. I will recommend it over and over. Four stars, loved slash liked it, found a few things that prevented it from being a full five star, would still recommend. Three stars, I liked it somewhat, thought it was just okay, or it didn't work out in my favor. So that's where me and Gwen kind of differ on the three star, two star. Um, two star is I did not like it, but I can see or recommend it for someone who would. And one star, absolutely hated it, recommend not reading it, trash. So I'm mostly the same in terms of I stick to a five-star rating system. I almost never use half stars. Um, and for me, I do write a review for every book I read on Goodreads, which I think helps me expand on my rating even more and add context that star ratings alone can't give. But some rules of thumb that I use... Uh, for five stars, I consider that to be perfect for me. So it might not always be a perfect book from a craft standpoint or one that I think will be perfect for everyone, but it has some level of emotional impact or social commentary that I respect that other books just don't quite reach. Four stars are a very common rating for me. That's any book that I really enjoyed and would strongly recommend to most other readers. Three stars are also common. I usually give this to books that I have conflicting feelings about. Maybe I enjoyed some parts more than others, or I didn't have a strong emotional connection to, but in general, I would still recommend it to readers who enjoy whatever that book is about. 
For two star books, there's usually something about the book that I fairly strongly disliked and would not recommend it to most readers, unless you specifically enjoy something in the book that I disliked, which again, I often point out in the review. And then one star books are pretty rare. Um, I reserve those for books that have a strong dislike from me. Sometimes if there's something offensive in the book that I would point out in my review, that will get a one star rating. And in general, they're books that I wouldn't really recommend to anyone else. I couldn't handle any more than a five-star rating system. I already agonize enough over my star rating, so no half stars or quarter stars for me. But for me, a five is pretty darn close to perfection, a new favorite that gives me those elusive five-star feelings pretty much the whole way through. For four stars, to me, that means I really enjoyed it, but something about it doesn't say new favorite. Maybe there was a lull in the middle. Maybe aspects of the writing style were distracting. Oftentimes, an ending of a book is really important for me when it comes to whether or not it's a five or a four. I can, it can be giving me five-star feelings throughout like 85% of the book, but if the ending falls flat, you're getting a four from me. Like, I don't care what the first 85% was like, especially because with thrillers, I do not like a happy ending. I do not like tied up with a bow. I like a messy, a little bit of an ambiguous ending. So uh, that definitely is important for me when it comes to a four star. For a three star, um, it was fine. I didn't dislike it. I didn't love it. I would probably recommend it to specific people, but these books are typically not ones that I remember for very long. I also tend to reserve this area for books that I can see have literary merit or that I understand why they're so hyped, but they just weren't the book for me. Two, I just didn't like it. <laughs> for one, I call this the rotten apples section. If you know, you know, but uh, these are the books that maybe I had ethical or moral issues with, maybe they offended me in some way, or I just plain wouldn't recommend to anyone. I don't rate books one star very often, probably only three or four in the past two years. And for someone who reads like 100 books a year, that's a very low percentage of my books. But when I do, it's because I get viscerally angry thinking about the amount of time I wasted reading the book. Okay, so you said something, Lena, that I have to ask. Have you read Angie Kim's Happiness Falls yet? Yes, I have. And what did you rate it? I have to know. I rated it. Uh, I rated it two stars. Did you? I did. No I couldn't bring way. My, yeah. Because I know I you loved her former book so much. Mm -hmm. Well, I rated her first book, I think three stars, two or three stars. I rated the first one. This one, I really liked it. I gave it four stars. I'm surprised that you rated this so low. Yeah. I it would it have was been the narration for you, right? You didn't like the Uh well I I didn't like the character's head. I didn't like that at all, but um, there was uh, working in behavioral health books like that. I uh, tend to nitpick, um, especially having uh, worked with the specific diagnoses that they discuss in that book. There were just things that I felt like were a little bit overgeneralized. Um, some things were a little bit misleading and I don't know, it just felt like it could be potentially harmful to certain people reading it so it just yeah it just wasn't for me <laughs> I just finished that one today and I really liked it and I know Jordan loved it it was five stars for her so I sure did it was my favorite book yeah, of last year so oh. yeah I think working in behavioral health just clouded uh my enjoyment of the book yeah. because I, I was nitpicking I think that like certain things I think one thing that you should try to do maybe it would help when you go into a book knowing it's going to have like those 
kind of healthy things in there that you deal with or whatever, you just have to set your expectation that it is going to be pretty generalized because they're speaking to the public and like the public, like I had never even heard of this before. I didn't even know this was a thing, you know? So I felt like it was perfect for a person like me. I felt like I really learned a lot. And I also loved the other factoids in it too. I was like, is this a for real thing? I wanted to like fact check everything. Lena, how did you feel about the ending? I actually didn't mind the ending too that's, much. That's what made me ask her about it. Cause I was like, I don't know if I was satisfied with the ending, but maybe since Lena doesn't like I things wasn't. tied up in a bow. You, I love an unsatisfying ending. What did you so think about the ending, ending. Summer? I did not like it. Yeah. And I, I was like, I like the same types of endings as Lena. But this one was just like not enough for me. Like I just needed a little bit more, you know? Just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what happened. <laughs> I pretty much have similar rating systems to all of you guys. But um, I also use five stars. But I actually do use half stars. I think I'm the only one out of us that uses half stars. Um, sometimes I just have such a hard time deciding on a solid number. So using a half star just feels right for some books. For me, five stars means that I loved it or it's a new favorite, even if it wasn't a perfect book. If it was perfect for me and the vibes were there and I still had a connection to it, then it's a five star. Four stars is I really, really liked it. Three stars is I liked it and it was okay. So I'm kind of the same as Jesse. like three stars is my just okay level. I'm glad I read it, but it's not a new all-time favorite. Two stars is I did not like it, maybe wished that I would have DNF'd it, um, but it might have like a few redeeming qualities, like the writing style or something. Um, usually with two stars, it's not quite a one because if it's like literary merit or something, um, but usually it has like content in it that I just like did not like. And then a one star is I, it's awful, I hated it, no redeeming qualities, but I very rarely, like hardly ever, give this rating. I can't even think of a book off the top of my head that I've given one star. Maybe It by Stephen King, but that might be like it. With half stars, I usually round up or down for my official star rating on Goodreads, but my official rating with the half star will be in my review. I also write a review for each book that I've read, and it helps me um, to remember why I gave it that rating and also to elaborate on the rating. And I also mainly do it so that I can remember what I'm going to say about my books in my monthly <laughs> wrap up videos. Okay, so this is a big one, I feel like. Um, do marketing and logistics play a role in your final ratings? For example, if a book is marketed as a thriller, but it's more of a literary suspense, or a family drama, does that affect things for you? Or if it's marketed as a young adult, but it has like what you would consider adult content in it. Does that affect things? I feel like me and Gwen have debated a little bit back and forth on this one, but I would say yes. I think if I'm expecting to go into something and it comes out at the end completely something different, that totally affects my enjoyment of the story. Um, I think it's a little unfair because I know sometimes authors don't really have a say in certain things or it wasn't intended to be advertised a certain way or not. So I feel bad, but yeah, it does for me. I would also say yes, um, especially I think subconsciously. I don't think that's something you can control when you have an emotional connection to a book or even hopes for a book and then it doesn't live up to your expectations. I feel like that's something you just can't control, but definitely happens. Um, for me, I try to mention those details in my reviews so that others don't have that experience and they can be set up for success. But sometimes the marketing behind a book does the book a real disservice and that's out of the reader's control, also out of probably the author's control, a lot of people's control. I would say, I would love to say no, 
But the answer is definitely yes. Even if I go into a book knowing that it's mismarketed as a particular genre, because maybe I saw someone's review, I still end up rating those books generally low because I almost can't wrap my brain around the genre label that's affiliated with the book. For example, Sally Hepworth. I went into her book knowing that it's not a mystery. It's not a thriller. It's more of a family drama. But that's the way it's marketed. And so the whole time I just kept telling myself, like, it's not a thriller. Don't think of it as a thriller. It's not a thriller. But in the back of my brain, that's what I was expecting. And that's what I was still looking for, even though I knew it was kind of mislabeled. Sometimes I feel like publishers maybe purposely do that to get a wider audience for a book. But I feel like it never ends up working out because those books end up generally with an overall low rating on like Goodreads or the story graph is has been my experience when I look into those books. That's so funny because for me, I read, what was the Sally Hepworth that I read? Oh, The Soulmate. It was The Soulmate. Uh, so I read The Soulmate by Sally Hepworth and I knew going in that it had kind of been mismarketed. So I knew to not think of it as a thriller going in and I loved the reading experience. I was able to like just know that information and just kind of go in with no expectations. And I really liked it. I gave it like four and a half stars. I will say though, that out of her books that I've read, that one is the most thrilling. It definitely does have thriller aspects. Like as I was reading it, I was like, this kind of does feel like a thriller though. So maybe I would feel different with her other books if I try them. I would say that I also kind of let marketing affect my rating. I know that is marketed a certain way and then it turns out to not be that at all. It just makes me irritated. I also make sure to address that in my review to warn future readers. A book that did this to me and I ended up hating it was The Daughter of Dr. Moreau by Sylvia Marino Garcia. It was advertised as horror and it definitely wasn't. So my en my rating ended up being pretty low because of that. I don't run into this problem super often though because I like to go into books knowing hardly anything beforehand. Um, so I usually don't have too many preconceived notions. Yeah, and I feel that's the same for me because I don't really read the synopsis. So I, I, I generally know if it's like what genre it is, but I don't really read the synopsis too much. And oftentimes when I do, it's like maybe the first paragraph. And then the only time I really read this and the full synopsis is if I'm doing a video about the book and I read the full synopsis or afterwards, after I'm done reading it, I'm like, okay, what did they say? Because sometimes I find, especially in thrillers, and I know we've all talked about this before, how sometimes it gives a little too much away. You know, not necessarily like a spoiler, but you're like, if I wouldn't have known that, that would have been cool to discover while I was reading it. So I'm not going to say that these things never affect my rating, but the author who actually writes the story doesn't have too much say over things like the genre or the marketing, like we've all said. It's usually up to the publisher. Um, they use it as a tool for bookstores and other retailers to label and categorize and like, where am I going to put this in my store type thing? So I find it best to use that information as like a guideline rather than a rule. Um, I haven't talked to many authors, but the ones that I have never say like, I write thrillers or I write romance or, you know, whatever. They don't say like this one word genre that we're used to when we talk about books. Um, for example, I was reading a book that had like a note from Catherine Center in it recently. And she says that she writes bittersweet comedies. And I wish that was a label in Barnes and Noble because I would totally go to that section and browse that section. But that's not really a genre. <laughs> but that's how she categorizes her books when she writes them. So um, but yeah, if we want to make that a thing, I would be there. <laughs> um, but so as a fun fact, um, question is, do publishers usually allow authors to write their own book titles? 
not usually. Authors are welcome to suggest or ask for a particular title. Some publishers will welcome feedback on titles or be more, you know, collaborative. But in the end, it's the publisher's choice unless agreed upon previously in the contract, which is quite rare. And there's two main reasons for this. Number one, in a typical trade publishing deal, the publisher is taking all the financial risk. It's investing in the author's advance as well as the editing, the design, the production, the marketing, and the printing. So the publisher deserves the final say over the investment. And they typically know better, or that's what they say. Um, they've published dozens or hundreds or thousands of books, and they know what appeals to an audience and what doesn't. So they know what the trends are, or they follow the trends more closely than authors do, because the authors are just worried about writing the book, you know, um, they even sometimes test market titles, which I thought was pretty cool. And fun fact number two, how do writers, how do writers or authors pick the genre for their books? Genre is a marketing gimmick. So back to that, maybe they just pick something to get a writer on it. I'm like, well, you may not be wrong, Lena. Um, therefore, it's um, of interest to the publishers. Writers have stories to tell, they tell them and then the marketing people get it and they have to tell the bookstore what shelf to put in one. Um, that's all really a genre is. So I don't even think writers really take that into account, really. Um, I know we all love audiobooks here. So what about audiobooks? Does the narration or quality of an audiobook affect your star rating at all? And Jesse, I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> this is another thing that we kind of disagreed on. Um, but yeah, I would say yes, but not all the time. Um, if I'm trying to decide on a rating and the audiobook was done well, I usually bump it up to the next star rating. But I've also had a few other instances where the audiobook affected me negatively and I bumped it down because of it. A great example would be The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager, which Gwen and I have done a deep dive on that book here on the podcast. Um, and I mentioned my thoughts on the audiobook. And all I'm going to say is it could have been a whole star higher if the audiobook was done better. That's all I'm saying. That audiobook was really, was bad. really bad, though, y'all. That's why I still admit. think it's my favorite one star book because it's really a two star. But the audiobook just was not it for me. Sorry. The narrator did not fit the main character at all. And like the thing is, she sounded like she smoked like two packs a day and she was 80 years <laughs> old. And like you look her up and you're like, she's not old. What is happening? I was like, this person is supposed to be like in my age. Like I'm in like my early 30s. And I was like, I hope I do not sound like this. I wonder if all of her audiobooks sound like that. I haven't gone back to look at her other books she's narrated, but interesting choice. <laughs> For me, I actually, I'm kind of different. I think I'm usually pretty lenient when it comes to audiobook narrators, and I can listen to almost anyone narrate a book, including recently Siri. I turned that accessibility feature on on my phone to listen to books through the Kindle app, and I have no problem with it. So I don't think that that really ever negatively affects my rating, but maybe subconsciously, because again, sometimes that's out of my control. I do, though, think sometimes listening to audiobooks limits my emotional connection to a book, which could prevent a four-star book from reaching that five-star feeling. When it comes to exceptionally good audiobooks that have a full cast of narrators or something cool done in the production of it, I will usually call that out in my review and I love to hear it and promote it. Again, I don't think that's the thing that ever brings a book up in its emotional connection to me, so I'm not sure that would ever cause it to be bumped up a star, but I do like hearing creative uh, production in audiobooks. 
For me, a narrator can make or break the audiobook. Uh, my best example of this is Room by Emma Donahue. Uh, it's an emotional literary novel about a woman who's kidnapped and kept in a room for years. It's uh, won a lot of awards. It's a great story, but parts of the book are told through her son's perspective. He's like six years old, but the narrator is a grown woman. And she speaks in this nasally, sing-songy voice when she is trying to narrate the little boy's thoughts. And it is the most cringy experience I have ever had listening to an audiobook. I ended up having to stop. I had to stop, and I actually went out and bought the physical copy because I just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the story, but I rated it a whole star lower because I just couldn't get her cringy voice out of my head trying to sound like a six-year-old boy. It just, it just didn't work. Um, I'm pretty similar to Jordan. I'm pretty lenient with audiobook with audiobooks. Um, occasionally, I'll really hate an audiobook, and it will affect my rating. Um, like with the house in the cerulean sea, the narrator did really weird voices for some of the characters, and it was just awful and definitely contributed to my low rating. On the flip side, though, I hated the narrator for the house across the lake, like we were just talking about. But I loved the story, and I gave it five stars despite not liking the audio. I cannot. <laughs> I heard the microphone turn on. I was waiting. I didn't want to interrupt, but no, (laughs) ma'am. If the audiobook has extra great production, like full cast and sound effects, I'll usually mention that in my review, but it doesn't ever make me give the book an extra star rating or anything. I'm never going to say never, but I might mention my thoughts on the audiobook in my review for other listeners, readers, but generally I don't think it affects my rating much because I'm pretty lenient. Like I know that the house across like a horrible narrator so i'll mention that in my review but i don't think it like ever makes sways me um i've never listened to siri though i haven't turned on that function but i don't really use my kindle like at all but um yeah i'm pretty lenient with audiobook narrators so i don't really think it does but probably subconsciously like jordan says Okay, a fun fact about audiobooks, and this is something when um, Jesse and I went to Richmond and we were talking to Ashley Winstead, they were talking about this. Um, Do authors have any control over the narrators of their audiobooks? And the answer is, if you tell your agent or publisher that you want X to be the voice actor on your audiobook, they do what they can to accommodate your preferences so long as it's affordable. So, of course, bigger name authors probably are more likely to get the narrators that they want. Indie, you know, um, debut authors probably don't because they don't have the, you know, the funds. Um, But often they will give you a list of names of voice actors that they that they think will be a good fit. And then you can, as the author, go through the samples and listen to a little bit of it and then choose the one that you like the best. Um, And she actually talked about that with In My Dreams, I Hold a Knife. That's why the audiobook came out so much later than the book itself is because the sample she got, she was like, um, yeah, none of these, <laughs> like none of these. And of course, if you're a self-published author, you can get whoever you want to read for your book, but you have to be able to afford them yourself. Riley Sager should have thrown a tantrum I with his publisher over shocked how that even happened. But that also makes I sense know. how like Ruth Ware always has the same audiobook narrator. Alice Feeney always has the same audiobook narrator. They're like, yeah, I'm sticking with this one because I like it. I want it. I want more of it. So that really makes more sense. But it, it also is like, it's so sad that so many of us do listen to audiobooks. And then if you listen to a really bad audiobook for a debut author, you're like, I may never pick up another book by them. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, oh, that kills me. But hopefully lenient readers like me and Jordan will keep them going. 
Um, okay, our next little topic here, and I did a whole like podcast episode about book hype. So if anyone wants to hear my thoughts on that topic, I'll have it linked in the show notes. But what about that, you guys? Book hype. Does it affect your rating at all? And I know some of you have touched on it a little bit. So I'm going to say no. Um, I'm either going to be in agreement or not. Um, I still like to form my own opinion. That's something I'm always trying to like remind myself, form your own opinion um, with hyped books. But I don't let others like affect my rating or my thoughts. Um, I think what hyped books do is either make me put it on my radar faster or they make me go to the bookstore faster. Yeah, I agree with what you said about forming my own opinions. I agree and hope that I do that. But I do think hype raises the opportunity for disappointment out of our control. And that causes more of that conflicting feelings thing I mentioned that I usually put in three-star territory. So in that case, an unknown book of the same quality might have gotten a four-star from me because I had no expectations and I ended up really liking it. But if it's a super, super hyped book that I was disappointed by, that level of disappointment drops it down to a three. I could not have said that better. That was my experience back to In My Dreams I Hold a Knife. That book was so hyped, like best new thriller ever. And I read it and it was a good book, but it wasn't like best new thriller ever. Like, let's be for real. And I think if I would not have heard that, and then I read it on my own, it probably would have been a four star instead of a three star for me. But that hype just really killed it for me. Once again, I wish I could say no to this. But if I'm being honest with myself, I do let hype affect my experience and my ratings. And I don't form my own opinions sometimes. And I need to work on that. But mainly with specific authors more so than specific books. For example, Happy Place by Emily Henry. I hate second chance romances. It's my least favorite romance trope. I should have never read that book, but I love Emily Henry so much and it was so hyped last summer. So I read it and then I felt awful giving it two stars because I knew I wasn't going to like it. I knew so many people had an emotional attachment to that book and I felt like somehow my measly little two-star review was like negating someone else's experience, which is dramatic, but (laughs) I thought that maybe my love of the author would be enough plus the hype but it just wasn't. And because of all the hype, I end up feeling like there's something wrong with me when I don't like a hyped book. So that's just my bookish insecurity that I'm going to work on and form my own opinions. But yes, I fall into hype. I think that I sometimes fall into hype. Um, As an example, Fourth Wing is so hyped. And even though it's not a perfect book, the fact that I had fun reading it and that it even came close to living up to that hype made me give it a higher rating. I feel like you're so generous, Summer. You're all about the vibes. (laughs) I am. And I think that I do tend to rate more generously. And I'm kind of trying to work on that this year to be like a little bit harsher and be like, no, you don't need to give this a higher rating. How do you really feel? (laughs) That like, that's what you were talking about last year with graphic novels. You were like, I know the work that goes into this because you do graphic design and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, So you're like, I know the work that goes into this. And you were just giving them all five stars just for that. But you're like, I have to have levels here. I have to have levels. You get major FOMO if it's not something or if it's something you know. Because like when I visited Gwen, she was like, oh, look, they have um, the sequel to Fourth Wing, Iron Flame. And I was like, Gwen, you are not going to like this book. And she's like, I know, but everyone's reading it. I was like, I mean, you can get it. But 
I know it was, it honestly was like a wake up call the way that you said it though, because every bookstore that we went to, cause it was just when Iron Flame was just, you know, it just released. And I was like, look, they have both of them though, Jesse, I can get both of them. And you guys know, I do not read fantasy. So there's no way I would like this book. There's just no way I would like it. But I kept saying, but what if I do? And Jesse was just giving me that real best friend talk that I had to have. She was like, Gwen, okay, let's say you get them, okay? But let's say that nobody is talking about them at all. Are you still excited to read them? And I was like, no. And she's like, then why are you excited to read them? Only because other people are talking about it. So I was like, okay, that's the wake up call I needed. And then I didn't mention it anymore after you said that. Props for and, speaking the truth, talking you down. And, and Gwen, as we learned with Comfort Me with I Apples, Jesse, you learned too. Both of you were like, I just have to know. I just have to know what what all of the hubbub is about. And y'all yep. were disappointed. Yep. So I listen, so I'll die on the hill. Theories. It's a good book. But I had so many better theories. Oh, I loved it. I loved the yeah, ending. No. It was perfect. <sighs> I'm proud to be the only non-Apples reader of the group. I'll I feel resist. like you need to read it, though. Just to no, be the time continue. Reader. Continue that, Jordan. No, don't do it, Jordan. It's a trap. Don't do it. Uh, the other thing that I'll say about hype, though, is that, like, with Iron Flame, it's so fun to be part of a fandom when the hype is happening because I went to Target, like, the day that Iron Flame released and like there were so many people in the book section that I was talking to about it that were there just to buy the physical copy that day I ran into one of my friends that I um, have hung out a couple times or one time with from Instagram so I don't know the hype is really fun sometimes I understand but what you're it saying, is hard but like even yeah. with like Crescent City 3 like when people were like hyping that up and like oh uh -huh. my gosh I'm so excited just go to the bookstore you don't have to buy the book you don't have to read it you can just go there for the hype <laughs> I'm just the hype person. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. You don't have to buy it. It's really satisfying, it. though. Yeah. It's so satisfying to go and buy the book. But I also see the flip side of needing to be talked down from the hype sometimes. Yeah, because, like, I know I wasn't going to like it. It's mm -hmm. fantasy. It was going to sit on my shelf. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Ninth no, House has been sitting on my shelf for years, and I'm going to try to get to it maybe one day soon. I think you'll like Ninth House, though. I really think you will. I know. I'm trying. It's just sitting there, though. So we'll see. <laughs> Just to get nostalgic for a minute, I also think that hype nowadays is so different than hype like pre-social media. Like I remember when the last Harry Potter book came out, my friends and I went at midnight to get it and then we stayed up all night, like all four of us just in a room reading together and we read it like the whole next day and we finished it and we just made it a whole weekend thing and it was so much fun. And we did that with a couple of the Harry Potter books, but like the hype nowadays, I feel like it's just so different. It's a different experience. Well, don't you worry, Lena, because that's what we're going to do on our girls' trip when Taylor drops her new album. We're just going to be doing that's it with true. her album instead of a book. Okay? We're going to make that happen. Um, okay, now let's talk about how and when you decide what to rate a book. Do you immediately have a rating? Do you sit with your thoughts? Does it come to you while you're reading? For me, it just depends on the book. Um, we'll get into some more specific things in a moment. Um, but sometimes I get like a general feeling 
You know, like if I'm not immediately feeling the five star feelings, it's pretty much not going to be a five stars. Like you mentioned, Lena, I have to have those five star feelings like from the beginning. Um, I know when Summer was talking about um, the seven year slip, she immediately had those five star feelings. So then it's just like, can the book maintain that throughout? But you immediately get that feeling. Um, if I like it. I don't necessarily love it. I'm thinking like three or four stars. Um, but I don't really rate my books until I finish them. But usually within 24 hours, um, I'll have my rating picked out. Um, and even my husband has gotten good. He's like, mm, nope, it's not a five star. I can tell. <laughs> or he'd be like, he'd be like three stars. <laughs> so it's kind of That's funny. Travis too. He's like, mm, that sounds like a three star. And I'm like, but and he's like, no, the way you're talking about it, that's yep. a three star. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, but I have been known to go back and change my change my ratings like days, weeks, even months later. Um, mainly when I rate a book five stars because I really do want to reserve the five stars for my favorites with a few exceptions. Popcorn thrillers is like a major exception for me because literally I can give you like five examples off the top of my head, all of Kirsten Modulin, Frieda McFadden, like authors like that, that literary merit, not there. Writing, not there, but they entertained the heck out of me in the moment. And it gave me that five-star feeling in the moment because I was totally entertained by it. But like, ask me the plot of any of those books. And I'm like, um, I have no idea like literally none. So I'm never going to change those ratings because I, I feel like that's what a popcorn thriller is meant to do. It's meant to entertain you in the moment rather than like stick with you for a long period of time and change your life and all of that. So if several months later, the story and the characters don't stick with me, I'll bump it down to a four star, which still means I still enjoyed it, but it just didn't, you know, stick with me for the long haul. But popcorn thrillers, they're pretty much always a five, let's be honest. <laughs> I usually have a gut feeling about what I plan to rate a book. I usually struggle if I'm in between like a four or a five star, and that's because I tend to compare it to other five star books. Um, also, if I'm struggling to rate something, I love to talk with my friends, like the Fab Five here, um, because I have, sometimes I find myself like missing something or not comprehending the message of the story. Um, and like what it's trying to convey, but usually I get more clarity by chatting about the books. You bring up a good point about comparing books. Does anyone else compare books to figure out their rating? Yeah. I don't I think I do that consciously, probably subconsciously. Can't really help it, but I don't think I consciously do that. I try not to compare books too often because when I do, I find that the first of whatever two books I'm comparing always gets the higher rating. Like uh, I think about that typical and then there were none trope that's in every thriller out there. The first time I read that trope, I gave it five stars. Everything after that has been less than that. And I constantly compare it to that first book. And we all know that twists and tropes, things like that in thrillers are never as good the second or third time. So I try to avoid comparing books. Especially if you catch it, you're like, oh, I think I know what this is doing. That's the worst feeling because you, you still like it. You're like, oh, that was a really good twist. I really liked it the first one or two times that I read it. But now that I know it, you're like, oh, womp womp. Because <laughs> it doesn't land as hard. I feel like sometimes um, like after I finish a book and I'm like, wow, that was five stars. Then I start thinking like, you rate too many books five stars though like compare it to another favorite like that's also five stars and I'm trying not to do that because it's like it's five stars in a different way and I'm also giving more books five stars because I'm just like really honed in on what kind of books I like now so I tend to rate like I tend to only read books now that I know that I'm gonna really like so I feel like it's okay for me to have 
multiple five stars and for them to each have like their own reason and vibe for the rating. Yeah, there's no limit. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> when jo- when I was having a crisis, when Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow was like my new favorite book of all time, but I was like, but I love The Giver so much. Like, how can it? And George's like, you're allowed to have more than one favorite of all time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> so George true. just needs to speak it into existence. And I'm like, yes, mom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for when I decide my rating on a book. I am pretty similar to Gwen in terms of I typically know right away. Occasionally, I do go back and I bump five-star books down if they just didn't resonate with me long-term, or I actually will bump up four-star books that I still find myself thinking about often. And a lot of times it's at the end of the year when I'm building my favorites list. There are four-star books that I can't stop thinking about and that I want to include as favorites that I will later decide was actually a five-star Mentioning book. Mentioning this is a four-stars right now, you guys. Happiness falls. But by the end of the year, let's see if it gets bumped up to a five because was I a super fan of the ending? No, and I can't really say why, but all of the factoids and like how like she would just kind of go on these like run-on tangents and stuff. I just kind of loved it. And I was even talking to Jesse about this. I was like, she's talking about like the police and how it's not really a 24 hour window. And she's talking about um, deja vu and that that's like your brain misfiring when it's trying to access a memory and like all of that. I was like, this is really freaking cool. So I don't know. That one might be one that gets bumped up if I can't stop thinking about it. For me, I give an initial rating, but I often change my ratings a few weeks later after I've sat with my thoughts for a bit. My retention of the story and the plot and the characters over time play a really big role in whether or not I decide to change my ratings. So I often will give it an initial, you know, four star on Goodreads or three star, but then it's uh, it's actually a rare occasion when my ratings stay exactly the same as my initial, like as soon as I finish the book feeling. For me, I like to keep a star rating in mind while I'm reading and ask myself throughout if I had to rate it right now, what would it be? I usually have a pretty good idea about halfway through what my rating will be. With five stars, I can usually tell sooner though, like pretty early on in the book. Sometimes I'll sleep on a rating and a lot of the time I'll go back days or weeks after rating a book and bump it up or down depending on how much it stuck with me. Like same as you, Lena. If I like can't really remember a book too well and like I gave it four stars initially and I just don't remember anything that happened and the vibes weren't like 100% there, then it's probably going to get bumped down to a three. Are there any exceptions to your general guidelines for ratings? Like I was saying for me, popcorn thrillers, some of my favorite reads, but literary merit, staying power, things like that aren't going to be the best. So I rate those for how they made me feel in the moment. And I tend to be more lenient with those ratings. For me, I usually make exceptions if I'm reading something that's not adult, especially if it's not something I enjoy. Um, but before I put my final rating or review on a book, I try to imagine what would I have rated it if I was in that age group and seeing if that made a difference. So for like middle grade or young adult, that's how I try to like look at it. I will sometimes bump up a book's rating if it didn't emotionally connect to me, but has a particular piece of social commentary or diverse representation that I want to highlight. 
it's kind of like a bonus point for me trying to get that thing onto other people's radars so that they become more commonplace and pushed by publishing and marketing teams so that those items and those books can find their perfect readers. I'm similar to Jesse in that uh, if I know I'm reading something outside of my comfort zone, especially if it's something I don't typically gravitate towards, I tend to be a little bit more lenient on my ratings. For example, if I read something that's young adult or a classic, I try to separate my personal biases from my rating and kind of like like Jordan and Jesse have both said, just kind of try and see it for what it is based on the audience that it's intended for. Um, kind of like we already talked about, graphic novels, especially short ones, are so hard for me to rate. Uh, it's hard for me to not give them all five stars. I also have a really hard time rating nonfiction and poetry because it's so personal. So I usually leave those unrated unless it's a five star. Yeah, I agree about poetry and nonfiction. Um, I think we're probably the only poetry readers here. so. Um, but they are more difficult to rate because they are so personal. But at the end of the day, I do rate based on my enjoyment. So I ended up deciding like how it impacted me if I connected to the story or the poems and how like I have found that I have to have like some that I like more than others you know so I have levels of favorites versus which ones I thought were okay and which ones I could have skipped <laughs> um, so I do end up rating them at the end of the day for the most part. All right, getting down to the nitty gritty of your reading preferences now, what specific things do you look for when determining your rating? Does it have to be a perfect five stars to get five stars? I look at how I feel afterwards and also how I felt towards the end of the book. Like when I'm trying to finish the book, was I trying to like finish it and get on to the next one? Uh, was I trying to savor every page so it didn't have to end? Um, I've rated books where they're not perfect. I've also rated books five stars, knowing that they're not going to be for everyone and people are not going to rate them very high. Um, I think what's most important to me is how I felt during and after reading the story. I love the way Gwen phrases that five star feeling because that's pretty much what I look for. I usually end up with way more four star books than five stars, which is still great because it means I'm reading great books, but I love to look at my five star books as truly the best of the best, my strongest recommendations. As I said at the beginning, five stars to me means perfect for me. So not necessarily perfect for everyone, but something I personally connected to or felt was extra unique or said something profound that I want more people to read. I also need that five star feeling throughout. And I try to go into books hoping every one of them is five stars. I learned that from Gwen. The downside of that, though, is that I feel like I often get my hopes up, uh, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, so I don't necessarily look for a perfect book when I rate something five stars, but I do look for a book that despite it not being perfect, I wouldn't change a thing about it. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I mainly look for how it makes me feel. It doesn't have to be a perfect book. I just need the vibes to be there. I definitely recognize that five star feeling when it hits me. I love that. That's why I said that because it is just a feeling you get like you can tell when it's a five star, you get that giddy feeling or like you can't put it down and you just want to keep reading it, but you also don't want it to be over. And people have said like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, you just know when you know, you know. <laughs> 
Um, do you have a harder time reading books that fall outside your comfort zone? I know we've talked about this a little bit, um, like nonfiction or short stories, poetry. Um, I still struggle with this. So I'm curious how you go about it. For sure. Um, I try from time to time to step out of my comfort zone and read something new, but I usually don't give them high ratings because I'm not very familiar with that. Um, I stick to my bread and butter, which is thrillers and romances. Um, but sometimes I'll find that book that I just absolutely love that others are shocked about. For example, my favorite book of all time is 112263 by Stephen King. It has sci-fi, it has historical fiction, it has fantasy. Those are three genres that you will not see Jesse pick up. So I usually tend to stay away from them, but this one had such an impact on me and that's why it's my all-time favorite. Um, I've also read American Kingpin, which is a nonfiction book that was recommended to me from Gwen and I ended up loving it. And that was another one that I rated four and bumped it up to a five. Yes, I have a much harder time rating books that are outside my comfort zone. In addition to nonfiction and short stories, which were mentioned, also poetry and horror, actually, I have a hard time rating because I don't have that many other books to compare them to. Uh, I feel like I need a variety of those types of books to calibrate my own rating system within the genre. So it's hard when I don't have that. I remember when we were like pretty much all reading the Improbable Meet Cute series, Jordan, I kept saying like, oh, what was your rating? She's like, I don't know. I have to read a few of them to kind of like calibrate like levels of exactly. how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah, uh, I touched on this a little bit earlier too, but I definitely have a harder time rating these types of books, but I often will end up throwing them a bone and rating them based on merit uh, and not necessarily on my actual enjoyment. I often, uh, you know, will tell people, well, I didn't like the book, but I still recommend it. I still think it's worth reading. You know, maybe I wasn't, you know, wasn't the proper audience or I knew I wouldn't like it or whatever, but, you know, maybe I rated it a little bit higher because I think it's a good book. It just wasn't a good book for me. Um, kind of like I said earlier, nonfiction and poetry are really hard to rate. So I usually stick with no rating. If it's something outside of my comfort zone, like historical fiction, um, if I enjoy it, despite it being one of my least read genres, I might rate it higher for surprising me. Again, the vibes. Yes. <laughs> Do you ever leave books unrated? Of course, some of us have touched on this, but why don't you rate those books? For me, last year, I reread some books that I haven't read in literal years. And I've noticed a difference in my experience from when I initially read them to when I reread them. Um, I reread some Goosebump books and Fear Street books for a few readathons on YouTube, and I noticed I don't feel right about rating something that was published over 10, 15, 20 plus years ago. So for that, I mark them read, but unrated. Jesse, you've come a long way from uh, Green Eggs Still a five-star classic for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the only unrated books that I have on Goodreads was from when I joined a few years ago. I went back and logged a whole bunch of books that I remembered reading in high school and college, and I left those unrated. But otherwise, I rate every book that I complete. That's great. I can't even imagine. I, I, sometimes I just get so caught up. I'm like, mm, I don't know a rating, so I feel good leaving it unrated. Yeah, like Jordan, I also have some books on Goodreads that I read like in high school or college that are unrated unless they're all-time favorites. Um, but I also tend to rate everything. Uh, I even rated a book on cleaning that I got for Christmas. Like I was saying, it's sometimes easier to just leave something unrated, especially if I'm hedging between like a two and three star rating or something like that. 
I also find older books harder to rate, especially if they're marketed at a younger audience like Point Horror. Um, some of those were written in the 80s and 90s, and they're targeted to a young adult audience of that time. Obviously, times have changed. Expectations are different now. So sometimes I rate them purely on entertainment value. And sometimes I leave them unrated. Um, I also find myself not reading a book where the subject matter is something I deem important um, or relevant. Like how Jordan says she'll almost like bump up a book like that. Like if it has good social commentary or diverse representation or something like that, she she almost like bumps it up a star to like put it on people's rating. I guess I'm doing a disservice because I don't rate it if I don't really like it. So I'll just leave it unrated and I'll put my review there, but I just don't rate it. And like an example was The Black Flamingo by Dean Otta. Um, I think it has super important themes and topics and messages. And the general consensus is positive of this book. It has a very high average star rating, but it personally didn't work for me. So rather than putting like a low rating on it, I was like, I'm just going to leave this one unrated because I don't want to dissuade people from picking it up. This next question is for anyone that uses whole star rating. So pretty much everybody except for Summer. Um, the line between ratings is sometimes difficult to determine. Um, I'm like, this is a three and a half star book. So do I rate it a three or do I rate it a four? Um, how do you decide to bump it up or down? I don't know about y'all, but I personally think the space between a three and a four is the toughest to decide on. And at the end of the year, I noticed that's where my average rating is. Um, but sometimes I'll compare them to other books that fall on both sides of the rating. Sometimes I'll do like mental pros and cons lists to see which one outweighs the other. Um, another good example are the questions you've asked us on this whole episode. How was the audiobook? Did I go into the book with certain expectations? Did I feel betrayed on how the book was pitched to me? So, it's a battle, but I do think about it. I usually use how strongly I would recommend the book to others as my tiebreaker. So if I think it deserves that bonus point that I mentioned earlier, then I'll bump it up and I'll say that thing in the review so that others who are looking for it can find it. If it's just run of the mill and not something I think others will be seeking out, then I'll bump it down that half star. And again, just say in my review that I had a little bit more fun with it, but I don't think it's anything special as a pointer for when I'm stuck in between two star ratings as my tiebreaker. So I like that. I definitely agree, Jesse, that space between three and four is always where I agonize the most. Um, if something doesn't feel like a strong four to me, I also will go through my kind of mental checklist and see if it hits all of the categories that I typically think about when I rate books. If it doesn't check enough of the boxes, that's usually when I say, nope, it's a three. So a recent trick that I've been using, and it's not foolproof, <laughs> as nothing usually is, if I'm stuck between readings, I'll like switch to a 10 star scale in my head and go is it more of a six or is it more of an eight you know on a 10 star scale so I'm like okay and, and sometimes I'm like it's a seven that doesn't help <laughs> but sometimes I'm like okay is it more of a six or is it more of an eight and then I can kind of determined from there hopefully that makes sense that breaks my brain <laughs> I'm like I don't know I, I have no calibration for a 10 10 star system <laughs> um what about dnfs who dnfs and how do you dnf and why I 100% dnf um I think there's nothing wrong with dnfing a book Sometimes I feel bad and I'm trying to work on this because I feel bad because I either spent money on a book or it was gifted to me. But in the end, the book was mine. I made the decision to move on. 
sometimes I DNF after the first few pages and that generally means like the book isn't for me at this time. So it's like a soft DNF. And then other times I'll DNF halfway through the book or even further. Um, the only time I won't is if it's for like mine or someone else's book club discussion that I'm either hosting or participating in or if it's like a buddy read. I DNF so much more now than I used to and it feels so good. I'm so glad that I've converted. For me, what helps is that I usually do still write a review for books that I DNF on Goodreads stating what percentage I got to and why I DNF'd it. Then again, I can help other readers determine if that's something they'd be able to get through or not. And I'm still providing some value with the time I spent with a book and I don't have to feel that guilt about not completing it. Yeah, Gwen has really helped me to learn how to DNF. Um, I really didn't DNF at all until about three years ago. Um, but now I DNF left and right. I'm like, 10 pages? Nope, DNF. 100 pages? Nope, DNF. I used to push through, especially if it was like a buddy read or for a challenge, but I never ended up liking the book anyway when I would push myself to finish it. Um, I also don't typically go back to books, although I did soft DNF um, 56 Days by Katherine Ryan Howard, and then I went back to it a couple months later, and I ended up rating it five stars, and I put it on my favorites of the year, but I think that was uh, kind of a fluke thing. I don't think that would happen again. Um, I totally support DNFing. I'm just terrible at it. It does not come easily easily to me. Um, I've been trying a lot harder to do it lately. I actually DNF'd a book yesterday. Um, it was Valley Verified by Kyla Zhao. Oh, I think the it's, new one from Aardvark. Yeah, it's an Aardvark. Yeah. Um, I just could tell. I, I made it to almost the halfway mark, and I could just tell it was just going to be a three-star book, and I just like wasn't really having a good time, which is so sad because I was really excited to read it. But um, I'm very proud of myself. I DNF'd it. <laughs> um, I feel like it's easier for me to DNF books that are audiobooks or books that I'm borrowing. If it's a book that I own physically or spent money on, it feels like a waste to not finish it, even if I end up hating it. So I have another question about the DNF. Do you mark it as read? I feel like I'm being called out no. because I totally did that, but I'm trying not to this year. <laughs> Keisha also does it and it drives me crazy and she knows it does. If you DNF'd a book, did not finish the book. You did not read it. I know. That's what it I'm literally means, to be guys. This year, but I also felt like if I read over fifty percent of the book, I'm okay if people like put it on their red red list as long as they don't rate it. It bothers me when people DNF a book and then rate it like one star. I'm like, but why are you rating it one star? You you DNF'd it. I don't like rating. I don't no red. No rating. You put it on your DNF shelf. I think there are no rules. <laughs> I know, People do what they want. There comes mom. <laughs> okay, yes, mom. No, I won't rate it. <laughs> but I get why people want it to count towards their like pages read. I get it. I read 100 pages of Romantic Comedy by Curtin Senfield. Guess what? I DNF'd it. I'm not, I don't care. There's, because there's no rules. So I don't need to have like a higher page count than my friend at the end of the year. Like, I don't care. I'm reading for me. And I feel like if you are like counting your books read or I mean, Jordan's, you know, she has her, she has her <laughs> moments, but I'm just saying like, I don't know. I just don't think you should count them as read. That's just my story. And I'm sticking to it. I don't, I don't count them as read and I don't rate them for those same reasons for me personally, but I don't really care what other people are doing with their Goodreads. <laughs> exactly. That's what I have to, I have to just say. I shouldn't care as much. <laughs> but it does, I'm just like, but explain it to me though. It doesn't make sense, but it's fine. Um, the whole reason I wanted to sit down and talk about rating books is because it's so nuanced. It's different for every single reader. And I think that we illustrated that. 
I believe it's one of the reasons readers so often emphasize that our reviews are for other readers as opposed to authors, because our thoughts on a book are about so much more than just the story itself. It's how we were feeling when we read it. Did it emotionally impact us? Did the marketing work for or against the end result? How was the audiobook? Did it have tropes and themes and topics we enjoyed? And on and on and on. Um, so dear listeners, if there's one piece of advice I can offer you today, it's to dig deeper than the shiny stars at the top of the review, read the actual review itself, or better yet, if it sounds like something you would enjoy, ignore the reviews altogether and form your own opinion. Besties, I think we did it. We covered a lot today, so I'm going to call that a wrap on Let's Talk Star Ratings. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Gwen, thank you so much for having all of us. I think this is going to be one of my new favorite podcast episodes. I think it's such an interesting topic for all readers to discuss, and I'm just so happy to do it with my favorite people. So Agreed. I love this group of friends so much. I always have the best time chatting. Thanks for having us. This has been such a fun experience doing this with all of you. The only thing that would make it better is if we were all sitting in the same room together, which hopefully happens soon, but this is the next best thing. Thank you so much for having us, Gwen. This was literally so much fun. I loved all the conversations that we had. Talk Bookish to Me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions, recommendations, and literary topics galore. Follow me on Instagram at Talk Bookish Podcast. Rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. The link for Patreon is in the show notes, along with the links for everyone's social media. Until next time, happy reading!